Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. brings us uh, to step five, uh, which if you're like me, uh, step five doesn't follow step four. Uh, Step six follows step four. Uh, If step four is to understand the suffering script, these destructive messages uh, that suffering introduces into my life, then once I identify them, I want to replace them. Uh, We're going to give a buffer Uh, And this buffer isn't something that just necessarily goes right here and this is the only place that it goes. Hopefully, as you understand it, you will recognize that this is something that's been happening throughout. Um, But I do think it's helpful uh, to give this step its own place in the journey uh, so that we will not neglect it. Uh, And that's to mourn the wrongness of what happened uh, so that we can receive God's comfort. Uh, And it is likely Uh, that we have related codependently not just to other people, uh, but also to God. Uh, We've served God in order to get leverage over Him, wanting Him to do the things that we would like Him for Him to do. Uh, We've thrown our emotions at God in prayer more than we've had a genuine conversation with Him. Uh, We've tried to make God feel bad uh, because of how we interpreted our hardships and making it seem as if it was His fault. Uh, This is the chapter where we try to correct that. Um, That uh, where we begin to relate to God as the tender father that he is. Uh, Because until we see him that way, we will stay away from our refuge uh, because of fear, uh, because we feel punished, and and we need that relationship uh, restored. And this idea of mourning is one that Melody Beatty noted. Uh, She said, but the denial, obsession uh, with what was lost, guilt, bargaining, control, anger, sadness. If we look close enough, we'll see how similar codependency is to grief. Uh, Most people with codependency issues have lost a lot. Uh, And that's why I think mourning is particularly relevant. Uh, Now we ask, what's being mourned? It's not as if there's a body. There's no funeral to go to. Uh, The losses are not as tangible uh, as it might make it uh, seem easier if they were. So what are some of the things that we've lost? We've lost a sense of safety. Just that ability to rest. When are they coming home? What mood will they be in? What is it okay for me to say? What is it not okay for me to say? When might the phone ring at a time when they don't want to answer? What are the number of things that could go wrong that would make a situation that seems okay bad? That's the loss of sense of safety. Uh, The loss of trust. Yet, we begin to feel like being vulnerable is dangerous. Not just with the person who... Uh, has some kind of self-destructive pattern going on in their life, uh, but with anyone. Uh, We lose a sense of competence or confidence. Again, never have we tried so hard at anything only to see it fail this many times. 
uh, emotional regulation. Uh, if I could create a visual up here in a chart, uh, and we were going to do one of those x-axis, uh, y-axis, maybe it's y-axis if you're in geometry, just hear what I meant to say. Uh, but we've got an axis and an axis. Uh, and, and this axis right here is the level of reaction. And so if we're down here, it's a low-level reaction. If it's here, it's a high-level reaction. Uh, and as we go across the scale, uh, it's the degree of offense. And so over here, something's a little bad. As we go over here, it's real bad. And so let's say you're a child uh, who grows up in a volatile home. And we'll take three actions along this bottom scale. We'll say we put our socks out of place. We failed a test. We run away from home. If we were in a healthy environment, then the degree of reaction would look like this. It would be proportional. And the little things would get little reactions. And the medium-sized things would get a medium-sized reaction. And the big things would get a big reaction. And, and our sense of emotional regulation would go like that. Now, whether we're a child or an adult, when you're in a destructive environment, the line doesn't go like this. It goes like this. And you have no idea. Your socks can be in the floor and you get beat. You can fail a test and nothing is done because that would just require more work than they want to put into it. You can run away from home and they fall into self-pity and shame as if you're just making life hard for them and all the things that have been going on had nothing to do with it. And at any given time, any one of those things or something comparable has no spot on the scale that correlates. And we're going, where do I hang my emotions? Uh, and that's a loss. Uh, loss sense of proportionality. Uh, you can see that in there. But so many of our life skills are on trying to gauge what is small, what is medium, what is large. And when you lose that sense of proportionality, then so many life skills get disrupted. Uh, the sense of identity, uh, the loss of innocence. Uh, Diane Langberg, uh, speaking of one of her counselees in the context of sexual abuse, says she lost the opportunity to be a child. Uh, the knowledge that her parents, no matter what, um, loved her no matter what, a sense of safety in her own body, a sense of competence, a sense of moral integrity. All of these losses uh, needed to be grieved. Uh, hope in new things for the survivor. Uh, what little has grown up uh, during the course of therapy is usually not strong enough to carry the weight of grief. Um, and so one way to define grief uh, is... Um, is the default belief that things are going to be okay. You know, when you think about what is it that's sweet about a child, uh, one of those things among many, it's just they have this sense that it's going to be okay. And, and then as we get to be adults, we realize, oh, this world's a crazy place. Uh, and uh, some of that loss of innocence uh, is a sense that things will just innately be okay. And there's a certain sense in which that is good, and we need to recognize our role of responsibility, and that's part of becoming an adult. But we can lose so much of that uh, that we begin to think things will never be good. 
uh, peace of mind. Just the ability to have a quiet, still moment and that be a blessing and not vexing. Uh, a sense of reality. Um, when everything that you say and do gets questions and your emotions get thrown back on you and you don't even trust how that you're interpreting anything right anymore. That's a loss to be grieved. Uh, a loss of the sense of God's presence. You know, the idea here is that when pain is close, God feels far. Doesn't mean God is far. But God feels far when pain is close. Now when we talk about grieving these things, uh, we wrestle with one of those squirrely little beatitudes that we don't like because they all seem so counterintuitive. Uh, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we take this whole idea of mourning, which we absolutely hate, and we realize he said it was blessed. And we go, what is it that is good about mourning? And the idea, I believe, would be uh, that it's the tenderness of grief that prevents our hearts from growing hard in a broken world. And so part of what this step is about uh, is we're going to have to trust God with our tears if we're going to experience His comfort. Um, now, uh, a part here that I won't go into in great detail is uh, what we might call uh, mourning's evil twin, bitterness. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of things that mourning and bitterness uh, have in common. Uh, they're both precipitated by a negative event uh, they both exist at the unpleasant end of the emotional spectrum. They feel very justified. They feel like they're happening to us, not something that we do. Both of them involve a high degree of mental repetition as we play those events over and over again. I mean, when you're with somebody who's grieving and they've lost a loved one, how many times do they tell the same story and think about the same events over and over again? Uh, they shape the way that we interpret people and events around us, the way that we think about the future and the past. And when we experience those things, all we know is that we're hurting. We don't know whether we're mourning or whether we're bitter. Uh, you know, it's like uh, if I told you I have an object and it has um, four corners, it has four sides and four corners that are at right angles. Have I just described a square or a rectangle? You don't know. Because those things are true of both. And so all you know is we've got some kind of cubic figure. Um, and so when that list right there, all that we know is that we're hurting. And so I give you uh, some criteria here that I think it would be better to go through in the notebook in the context with a friend or a counselor or a group than to us to try to go through here. Of what are some of those ways that we would differentiate uh, bitterness uh, from mourning? Uh, but here's the big idea behind all of them. Uh, mourning is what allows us to express hurt as hurt instead of hurt as anger so that we are in a better position to make wise and healthy relational decisions. As, as we come and we talk about what mourning is here in just a moment and, and we do those things, 
And we've got all of this pain. We've got the losses that we just talked about. The difference between bitterness and mourning is that when I am bitter, I express hurt as anger because it's safer. When I am mourning, I reach a point where I can express hurt as hurt. I don't pretend that I'm not hurting anymore. That's fake, and it makes me mad. And then I'm back over here, and I don't want to be over there. And so I express hurt as hurt, recognizing that if I am with a safe person and I articulate legitimate hurt in a relationship of care, that is going to place us in a position where we can make wise and healthy relational decisions together. Now, uh, we ask, uh, what is mourning? And one of the things about mourning is it's not nearly as voluntary as we would like it to be. And if you're like me, what I would want me to say at this point is, Brad, I want you to give me a morning plan uh, that I can schedule on a Saturday. I'll block out like a full morning. I will go in the woods. I will take a journal. I will cry. I will write. I'll reflect. I'll do some kind of ceremony where I like throw the pages on a river. I'll do whatever you say. And if I can, that'd be great. Uh, And as you can tell by the way I'm spoofing, um, it's not going to be that voluntary. Because morning is not something that we can put on a calendar. Uh, And it's not something that we can rush. So there will be no timetable. Because if I gave you and said six weeks, then some of you would try to play beat the calendar and do it in four weeks. And if you weren't halfway there at the end of three weeks, you would beat yourself up. And we don't want to do any of that. So one aspect of mourning is when we rest in mourning as a form of God's care. when we recognize that we are God's child and not His employee, and so He is not looking for a return on His investment, He wants to make sure we're okay. And so I've got one of my boys uh, who is uber competitive and never wants to come out of a game. And when he gets hurt, and he's out there, and it's one of those times where I'm not sure if he's injured or he's hurt, I pull him out of the game. And at that moment, he has a very hard time accepting, uh, as Papa Coach, because I play both wear, I wear both hats, uh, that that is for his good. And part of him receiving that as care and not feeling like it is punishment is for him to go that this is because Papa loves me. This is for my good. It is for my care. Now maybe a more tangible way of thinking about mourning is our goal in mourning is to assimilate all the material that we articulated in steps one through three without the defining narratives of step four. So in steps one, two, and three, we put some things into words that we probably hadn't put into words that clearly before. And part of the reason that we would resist putting them into words is because we thought those things meant whatever the destructive messages were, and step four. Mourning is when we can be genuinely sad about the bad things that happened and the way that they affected us without those destructive messages. Uh, Judith Herman, she says, The survivor needs help from others to mourn her losses. 
Now, all the classic writings ultimately recognize the necessity of mourning and reconstruction in the resolution of traumatic life events. Failure to complete the normal process of grieving perpetuates the traumatic reaction. And so when we don't mourn and we don't separate steps 1, 2, and 3 from the themes of 4, then it allows that effect to perpetuate. And then another part of what mourning is and how we do it uh, is we realize that sadness is not the final chapter. This is step 5. This is a nine-step journey. This is mid-journey. This is not uh, the end. Uh, Judith Herman again, she says, It occurs to the survivor that perhaps the trauma was not the most important or even the most interesting part of her life. Now, she will never forget. She will think of the trauma every day as long as she lives. She will grieve every day. But the time comes when the trauma no longer commands the central place uh, in her life. And that's, we're reaching that place of mourning when we can say, this is sad, but it's not central. God made me for more than this. Um, This is a part of my story. Uh, If my story were a movie and people were telling the themes, this would be part of what they would tell, but this wouldn't be the climax. This wouldn't be the thing uh, that that movie was about. Uh, Now, when you're at this point, uh, I would encourage you to recognize that God is not rushing you. Uh, This is one of those places where we often get a little ticked off at God's patience. Uh, He is a lot more patient uh, than we wish He was. Uh, But we recognize He is the Good Shepherd. In that imagery of Psalm 23, uh, that He will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, And that imagery of walking there, uh, if I'm the shepherd and I'm in a place that lives up to the name of the valley of the shadow of death, we ain't walking. I'm driving those sheep. Uh, That staff is not a form of protection. It's a prod. Uh, Come on. Uh, But we see His power and His tenderness and that He will walk with us at the pace that we can endure uh, through, uh, through seasons like this.